Hello, all, and welcome back to Tangents on Cracked Spines. If you're new here, I'm glad you're here, but maybe go back 12 episodes to start this story from the beginning. As a quick intro, I'm Frankie, and we'll be reading with unedited personal commentary on the classics, or in reality, any story in the public domain. Listener discretion is advised, as some of this content holds adult themes, language, and violence. And I'm also known to use the uh, odd explicative, though I'm trying to stop. We are currently reading The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. In the last episode, Dr. Kemp was give, sent a note stating that uh, he essentially had a death mark on him from the Invisible Man for his betrayal and as a he um, would be used as an example for the rest of the town that his betrayal of the Invisible Man essentially uh, made the Invisible Man's reign of terror be in that town that I cannot remember the name of. Begins with a B. Ah, uh, because I don't take notes. The constable did die trying to do his job. Um, and the Invisible Man broke into Kemp's house with an axe and then Kemp and the maid uh, jumped out of first floor, I believe, window while the cops tried to fight him off. We begin again with chapter 28, The Hunter Hunted. Sorry, I'm looking at the name and going, how do I pronounce that? Mr. Helos, Mr. Kemp's nearest neighbor among the villa holders, was asleep in his summer house when the siege of Kemp's house began. Mr. Helos was one of the sturdy minority who refused to believe in all this nonsense about the Invisible Man. His wife, however, as he was subsequently to be reminded, did. He insisted upon walking about his garden just as if nothing was the matter, and he went to sleep in the afternoon in accordance with the custom of years. He slept through the smashing of the windows, and then woke up suddenly with a curious persuasion of something wrong. He looked across at Kemp's house, rubbed his eyes, and looked again. Then he put his feet on the ground and sat listening. He said he was damned, but still the strange thing was visible. The house looked as though it had been deserted for weeks, after a violent riot. Every window was broken. Let's face it, Kemp's gonna have a l- I hope he has insurance. That was a thing, because it was mentioned earlier in the book. Because glass is expensive nowadays. Can you imagine trying to replace every glass window in a house in the 1800s? Can't see my face, but who? <clears throat> Where was I? And every window, save those of the Belvedere study, was blinded by the internal shutters. I could have sworn it was all right, 
He looked at his watch. 20 minutes ago? Apparently the siege on Kemp's house didn't take very long. <laughs> he became aware of a measured concussion and the clash of glass far away in the distance. And then, as he sat, open-mouthed, came a still more wonderful thing. The shutters of the drawing room window were flung open violently, and the housemaid, in her outdoor hat and garments, appeared struggling in a frantic... appeared struggling in a frantic man. Alright. And then woke up suddenly with curious persuasion of something... It keeps doing this. Where is... Hat and garments. There we go. That makes more sense. Appeared struggling in a frantic manner to throw up the sash. Suddenly, a man appeared beside her, helping her. Dr. Kemp. In another moment, the window was open and the housemaid was struggling out. She pitched forward and vanished among the shrubs. Mr. Gila stood up, examining, exclaiming vaguely and vehemently at all these wonderful things. I'm not sure those are wonderful. I know they mean wonderful as in, like, odd, but still. He saw Kemp stand on the sill, spring from the window, and reappear almost instantaneously, running along a path in the shrubbery and stooping as he ran, like a man who evades observation. Obviously doing a bad job of it, seeing as you saw him. He vanished behind a laburnum and appeared again, clambering over a fence that abutted on the open down. In a second, he had tumbled over and was running at a tremendous pace down the slope towards Mr. Helis. Lord, cried Mr. Helis, struck with an idea. It's that invisible man brute. It's right after all. Can't wait for the point in this where the wife says, uh, I told you so. With Mr. Helis to think things like that was to act, and his cook watching him from the top window was amazed to see him come pelting towards the house at a good nine miles an hour. Well, that would be very impressive. Thought he wasn't afraid, said the cook. Mary, just come here. There was a slamming of doors, a ringing of bells, and the voice of Mr. Helis bellowing like a bull. Shut the doors, shut the windows, shut everything. The invisible man is coming. Instantly, the house was full of screams and directions and scurrying feet. He ran himself to shut the French windows that opened on the veranda. As he did so, Kemp's head and shoulders and knee appeared over the edge of the garden fence. In another moment, Kemp had plowed through the asparagus and was running across the tennis lawn to the house. Did he ruin the asparagus? I suppose in, you know, conjunction to his life, that's not bad, but... <clears throat> you can't come in, said Mr. Healish, shutting the bolts. I'm very sorry if he's after you, but you can't come in. Kemp appeared with a face of terror close to the glass, rapping, and then shaking frantically at the French window. 
Then, seeing his efforts were useless, he ran along the veranda, vaulted the end, and went to hammer at the side door. Apparently, Mr. Kemp was quite an athletic fellow. I mean, adrenaline helps you do some things, but if you're not used to jumping a fence, you're gonna struggle. <laughs> and I totally don't know that from, you know, experience. I promise it was because I was a farmhand. When a cow comes charging at you, you jump. Do, 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 do. I don't lose my place even with a ruler marking. <laughs> then he ran round by the side gate to the front of the house and so into the hill road. And Mr. Helis, staring from his window, a face of horror, had scarcely witnessed Kemp vanished, ere the asparagus was being trampled this way and that by feet unseen. At that, Mr. Helis fled precipitously upstairs, and the rest of the chase is beyond his purview. But as he passed the staircase window, he heard the side gate slam. Emerging into the hill road, Kemp naturally took the downward direction, and so it was he came to run in his own person the very race he had watched with such a critical eye from the Belvedere study only four days ago. He ran it well, for a man out of training, and though his face was white and wet, his wits were cool to the last. Yeah, shock does that. He ran with wide strides, and wherever a patch of rough ground intervened, wherever there was a patch of raw flints or a bit of broken glass shown dazzling, he crossed it and left the bare invisible feet that would that followed to take what line they would. I mean, considering you're scared for your life, hoping the guy uh, chasing you gets hurt on glass isn't really a bad thing. Especially considering you're being chased by an angry naked man. Yes, I am going to bring that up every time. Like, being chased by an invisible creature is scary enough. We have how many uh, mythos about them uh, around the world? But let's face it, most people would be highly uncomfortable, if not scared, knowing that not only were they being chased by an invisible specter, but that it was a very naked, angry man. <laughs> For the first time in his life, Kemp discovered that the hill road was indescribably vast and desolate, and that the beginnings of the town far below at the hill foot were strangely remote. Well, yeah, if you're out of practice running, you're gonna think that everything's further away than you thought it was. Never had there been a slower or more painful method of progression than running. All the gaunt villas sleeping in the afternoon sun looked locked and barred. No doubt they were locked and barred by his own orders. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to have afternoon... I mean, I sleep during the day because I work at night, but... Have afternoon naps be, like, an actual thing? I'm not much of a napper, but, like, to have a reprise, like, built into your day is kind of nice. Sounds amazing. 
But at any rate, they might have kept a lookout for an eventuality like this. Yes, everybody's going to be on the lookout for an invisible specter that, you know, is known for hurting people. And no, is known for at least one murder. I suspect at least two. And he may not have pulled the trigger on his father, but he definitely, uh, you know, was part of the reason his father is dead. The town was rising up now. The sea had dropped out of sight behind it, and people down below were stirring. A tram was just arriving at the hillfoot. Beyond that was the police station. Was that footsteps he heard behind him? Spurched. That is actually a sentence. Spurt. I'm assuming that means adrenaline hit and he started running harder. Spurt is a weird word. Sorry. The four people that actually listened to my rambles apparently like listening to me. I'm sorry, but thank you. The people below were staring at him. One or two were running, and his breath was beginning to saw in his throat. Ooh, that hurts. The tram was quite near now, and the jolly cricketers was noisily barring its doors. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like, that is definitely something you would see in a, like, a horror movie. You're, like, running away from the big bad monster, and literally everyone, as they see you coming, is like, Whoa! Crap! Lock the doors! There's not a single person being like, Come in! Hurry, 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 hurry! Before he gets you! No, everybody's like, Sorry, you're on your own! Dum, dum, dum. Beyond the tram were posts and heaps of gravel. Also, if I'm not mistaken, the Jolly Cricketers is where they first, you know, had an interaction with the Invisible Man and a shootout because of an American. So, they've probably like, yep, nope, I've had enough of him. Beyond the tram were posts and heaps of gravel. The drainage works. He had a transitory idea of jumping into the tram and slamming the doors. And then he resolved to go for the police station. In another moment, he had passed the door of the Jolly Cricketers and was in the blistering fag end of the street. Reminder that... I'm hoping that that particular term is more in the... either cigarette or bundle of sticks type and not the queer type. With human beings about him, the tram driver and his helper, arrested by the sight of his furious haste, stood staring with the tram horses unhitched. Further on, the astonished features of the navies appeared above the mounds of gravel. His pace broke a little, and then he heard the swift pad of his pursuer and leapt forward again. The invisible man, he cried to the navvies. With a vague indicative gesture, and by an inspection, leapt the excavation and placed a burly group between him and the chase. 
Then, abandoning the idea of the police station, he turned into a little side street, rushed by a green grocer's cart, hesitated for the tenth of a second at the door of a sweet stuff shop, and then made for the mouth of an alley that ran back into the main hill street again. Hmm. One, I can't see the word green grocer without thinking of Sweeney Todd. Sorry. Those who don't know it, there is a song about what different people would taste like in the pie. You know I'm morbid. You listen to me enough. But also, yes, I'm running for my life. Let's not go to the police station. Let's zigzag in and out of the alleyways and put more people in danger. Two or three little children were playing here and shrieked and scattered at his apparition. And forthwith, doors and windows opened and excited mothers revealed their hearts. Well, yeah. The Invisible Man has already broken the ankle of a toddler. And given the time era, that may have disabled the poor kid for the rest of his life. Not saying that, you know, he couldn't have done better work, but, you know, times haven't changed much. Out he shot into Hill Street again, 300 yards from the tram line end, and immediately he became aware of a tumultuous vociferation and running people. He glanced up the street towards the hill. Hardly a dozen yards off ran a huge navvy, cursing in fragments and slashing viciously with a spade, and heard behind him came the tram conductor with his fists clenched. Up the street, others followed these two, striking and shouting. Down towards the town, men and women were running, and he noticed clearly one man coming out of a shop door with a stick in his hand. Spread out! Spread out! cried someone. Kemp suddenly grasped the altered condition of the chase. He stopped and looked around, panting. He's close here, he cried. Form a line across. Aha! shouted a voice. He was hit hard under the ear and went reeling, trying to face round towards his unseen antagonist. He just managed to keep his feet, and he struck a vain counter in the air. Then he was hit again under the jaw and sprawled headlong on the ground. In another moment, a knee compressed his diaphragm, and a couple of eager hands gripped his throat. But the grip of one was weaker than the other. Well, yeah, he still has a bullet hole in his arm. Like, he's invisible. He doesn't have magical healing powers. Speaking of which, shouldn't he still have the bandage on? Shouldn't that make him visible? Or did he take the bandage off? But then you would still see his scabbing, wouldn't you? Plot hole! He grasped the wrist, heard a cry of pain from his assailant, and then the spade of the navvy came whirling through the air above him and struck something with a dull thud. He felt a drop of moisture on his face. The grip at his throat suddenly relaxed, and with a convulsive effort... Kemp loosened himself, 
grasped a limp shoulder, and rolled uppermost. He gripped the unseen elbows near the ground. I've got him, screamed Kemp. Help! Help, hold! He's down! Hold his feet! That, I'm sorry, can you imagine, like, people coming over and just being like, sure, let's try and find him. And just, like, patting the ground viciously until they feel flesh and then be like, ha, I got him. Like, that had to have been weird. In another second, there was a simultaneous rush upon the struggle and a stranger coming into the road suddenly might have thought an exceptionally savage game of rugby football was in progress. Ha. Y'all don't just call it rugby. That's why we call football football. And there was no shouting after Kemp's cry, only a sound of blows and feet and heavy breathing. Then came a mighty effort, and the Invisible Man threw off a couple of his antagonists and rose to his knees. I mean, I know he's a burly man from the descriptions, but is he throwing off, like, several men because they were, like, loosely holding him? Because, hi, you're invisible, I can't really get a, see you well enough to get a good grip? Or, like, did lift a car or adrenaline start kicking in? Uh, da, da, da. Kemp clung to him in front like a hound to a stag, and a dozen hands gripped, clutched, and tore at the unseen. I mean, if you're constantly, like, grabbing at him, somebody's bound to hit him in the nuts, and that should either, like, anger him or, like, cripple him. One of the two. Most men that I know would drop like a sack of potatoes. The tram conductor suddenly got the neck and shoulders and lugged him back. Down went the heap of struggling men again and rolled over. There was, I am afraid, some savage kicking. Then suddenly a wild scream of mercy, mercy, that died down swiftly to a sound like choking. I mean, serves you right. Get back, you fools, cried the muffled voice of Kemp, and there was a vigorous shoving back of stalwart forms. He's hurt, I tell you, stand back. Again, like he was trying to kill you. Oh, no, wait, he's killed two people, possibly three, because Adye is dead. Mr. Whippersnapper, Whipper, Whisper, I don't remember, I'm sorry. No, no, he didn't kill the kid. He, Sorry, my mom's in the background. He didn't kill the kid. He uh, broke the kid's ankle. Which, you know, depending on the class his parents were in, might not have been a great thing for the rest of his life. He may or may not have killed the man on Drury Lane. So, yeah. There was a brief struggle to clear a space, and then the circle of eager faces saw the doctor kneeling, as it seemed, 15 inches in the air, and holding invisible arms to the ground. Behind him, a constable gripped invisible ankles. (laughs) Don't you leave go of him, cried 
the big navvy holding a bloodstained spade. He's shamming. He's not shamming, said the doctor, cautiously raising his knee. And I'll hold him. I don't trust your ability to hold him down. His face was bruised and already going red. He spoke thickly because of a bleeding lip. He released one hand and seemed to be feeling at his at the face. The mouth's all wet, he said. And then, good God! I mean... Mouth should be wet, and if you've been in a fight, there would be bleeding, and you would see it. Because... Oh, no. You can't see it when he's actively bleeding. You see it once it starts coagulating. Because that makes sense. He stood up abruptly and then knelt down on the ground by the side of the, un the thing unseen. There was a pushing and shuffling, a sound of heavy feet as fresh people turned up to increase the pressure of the crowd. People now were coming out of the houses. The doors of the Jolly Cricketer stood suddenly wide open. Very little was said. Kemp felt about, his hands seeming to pass through empty air. He's not breathing, he said, and then, I can't feel his heart. His side, oh! Suddenly, an old woman, peering under the arm of the big navvy, screamed sharply, Looky there! she said, and thrust out a wrinkled finger. And looking where she pointed, everyone saw, faint and transparent as though it was made of glass, so that veins and arteries and bones and nerves could be distinguished, the outline of a hand, a hand limp and prone. It grew clouded and opaque, even as they stared. Hello, cried the constable. Here's his feet is showing. So once he was dead, he could become a... He stopped being invisible? Why? And so slowly, beginning at his hands and feet and creeping along his limbs to the vital centers of his body... The strange change continued. Uh, well, I suppose he would be somewhat visible because of his blood coagulating outside his body turned visible. Then I suppose blood inside his body coagulating because it's not moving would turn visible. It was like the slow spreading of a poison. First came the little white nerves. A hazy gray sketch of a limb, then the glassy bones and intricate arteries, then the flesh and skin, first to faint fogginess, and then growing rapidly dense and opaque. Presently, they could see his crushed chest and his shoulders, and the dim outline of his drawn and battered features. Now, let me throw out there that I do not agree with lynching. People should go through proper prop, uh, processes. However, I don't feel sad that the man died. He was a terror to everyone. He had zero moral compass. And the people couldn't really tell how much damage they were doing to him. Just, hey, there's a raving lunatic trying to kill our town doctor. And has already killed a policeman and... 
just a man in the town. So, um, yeah, we're going to do our best to stop this six-foot, you know, raving invisible lunatic. When at last the crowd made way for Kemp to stand erect, there lay, naked and pitiful on the ground, the bruised and broken body of a young man about thirty. His hair and brow were white, not gray with age, but white with the whiteness of albinism. And his eyes were like garnets. His hands were clenched, his eyes wide open, and his expression was one of anger and dismay. Cover his face, said a man. For God's sake, cover that face. And three little children, pushing forward through the crowd, were suddenly twisted round and sent packing off again. Someone brought a sheet from the Jolly Cricketers, and having covered him, they carried him into that house. The epilogue. So, yeah, we're, we're done with this story just about. So ends the story of the strange and evil experiments of the Invisible Man. I wouldn't say the experiments themselves were evil, it's how he used them. And the fact that he, you know, experimented on a cat. And if you would learn more of him, you must go to a little inn near Port Stowe and talk to the landlord. The sign of the inn is an empty board save for a hat and boots. And the name is the title of the story. The landlord is a short and corpulent little man with a nose of cylindrical proportions, wiry hair, and a sporadic rosiness of visage. Drink generously, and he will tell you generously of all the things that happened to him after that time, and of how the lawyers tried to do him out of the treasures found upon him. When they found they couldn't prove whose money was which, I'm blessed, he said, if they didn't try to make me out a blooming treasure trove. Do I look like a blooming treasure trove? And then a gentleman gave me a guinea a night to tell the story at the Empire Musical, just to tell him in my own words, barring one. And if you want to cut off the flow of his reminiscence, reminiscence, I can speak, reminiscences, Abruptly, you can always do so by asking if there weren't three manuscript books in the story. He admits there were and proceeds to explain with asservations that everybody thinks he has them. But bless you, he hasn't. The Invisible Man it was took him off to hide him and I cut and ran for Port Stowe. It's what Mr. Kemp put people on with the idea of my having him. And then he subsides into a pensive state, watches you furtively, bustles nervously with glasses, and presently leaves the bar. He is a bachelor man, his tastes were ever bachelor, and there are no women folk in the house. Outwardly he buttons, it is expected of him, but in his more vital privacies, in the matter of braces for example, he still turns to string. He conducts his house without enterprise, but with eminent decorum. His movements are slow, and he is a great thinker. But he has a reputation for wisdom and for a respectable 
parsimony in the village, and his knowledge of the roads of the south of England would beat Cobbett. And on Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning all year round, while he is close to the outer world, and every night after ten, he goes into his bar parlor, bearing a glass of gin faintly tinged with water, and having placed his down, he locks the door and examines the blinds, and even looks under the table. And then, being satisfied of his solitude, he unlocks the cupboard and a box in the cupboard and a drawer in that box, and produces three volumes bound in brown leather, and places them solemnly in the middle of the table. The covers are weather-worn and tinged with an algal green. For once they surgeoned in a ditch for some of the pages have been washed blank by dirty water. The landlord sits down in an armchair, fills a long clay pipe slowly, gloating over the books the while. Then he pulls one towards him and opens it and begins to study it, turning over the leaves backwards and forwards. His brows are knit and his lips move painfully. Hex, little two up in the air, cross and a fiddle-dee-dee, Lord, what a one he was for intellect. I didn't realize that uh, he knew the cipher for these. Presently, he relaxes and leans back and blinks through the smoke across the room at things invisible to other eyes. Full of secrets, he says. Wonderful secrets. Once I get the whole of them, Lord. I wouldn't do what he did. I just, well, he pulls at his pipe. So he lapses into a dream, the undying, wonderful dream of his life. And though Kemp has fished unceasingly, no human being save the landlord knows those books are there with the subtle secret of invisibility and a dozen other strange secrets written with there within, and none other will know of them until he dies. Well, isn't that an interesting way to end the book? So yeah, thank you for listening to the invisible man with me and with that we're finished the story which means you have one more chance to vote for the next story currently in the lead is a selection of tales from HP Lovecraft other uh Options are Last in the Mohicans, A Nonsense Anthology, and Alice in Wonderland. Or other suggestions. You can go ahead and vote on the Facebook page, uh, Tangents on Crackspines Book Club, or you can leave it in the uh, review, or email me at talkspod at gmail.com. It's the initials of this podcast, uh, pod at gmail.com Thank you so much all for listening and for bearing with me and have a wonderful day. I'll talk to you next time.